Take your Bible, Psalm 65. And this psalm here, there's, there was uh, for a time uh, a lot of debate on who this psalm had been uh, penned by and the words of this psalm and, and certain things like that. Uh, there were some that for a while had been assuming it was Hezekiah, but as you begin to walk through this psalm, we understand in Scripture, we see at the very top there, it is a psalm of David. And uh, some of the words that he uses... Uh, if it was Hezekiah, you would have been given a perspective of one from the palace, but this gives one that was in the pasture a little bit, uh, one that was aware of the surroundings and some of those words that you're going to see here this evening. But he begins to highlight in this psalm here tonight, the grace of God, the power of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God, all of that is seen in this psalm. And uh, for tonight, for just a few moments, if you would, I want to encourage you as you're walking through this psalm, and may the Lord encourage every single one of us just to pause for a few moments and reflect on the goodness of God in our own lives, to reflect on the, the mercy of God or the, the power of God or the grace of God, wherever it is, right this very moment that God is working in your own life, may we reflect on that this evening. He goes on, in the very beginning, we'll see a couple of things this evening. Notice with me, if you would, verse number one, the Bible says, praise, wait for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come, iniquities prevail against me as for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Verse number four this evening is where you would find the key verse of where the psalm kind of pictures everything coming together. He begins to start out and deals with the grace of God. And so notice with me, number one, we see the grace of God being pictured here in the very first four verses. And as it comes to verse number four, he uses that word blessed. Now, backing up to verse number one, he's going to begin to start it out as he highlights the word praise. And so in verse number one, you hear, or you rather see, he uses the word praise. In verse number two, he uses the word hearest. In verse number three, he's going to use that word purge. These are some of the very powerful words that the psalmist is pointing to the Lord and what the Lord is doing right now in his life or could do in his life. But then in verse number four, because of all the confidence that he has in God, he says these words, blessed is the man whom thou choosest. Causes to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Notice with me, if you would, number one, we see the grace of God as you're walking through this passage of scripture. One of the great things that we see in verse number one is this understanding as he says, praise waiteth for thee, O God, and Zion unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer. Now, that, that's one of the most comforting things as a Christian is that when we take our petitions to the Lord, when we go to the Lord in prayer, and we begin to offer, whether it is praise, when we begin to offer our need for strength or whatever situation we're in, or if we begin to just come unto the Lord and begin to seek wisdom or discernment or understanding, He is a God that hears us. What a comforting thought that is. What a comforting thought that we know that our God hears us. And it's not just a, a situation that we see in this psalm. You see, our God is a very personal God. He is one who desires for us to come to Him. Go with me to the New Testament. 
for just a few moments, and you're walking in the life of one of the disciples, and the disciples are walking with Jesus, and all of a sudden, there comes to the disciples what looks like an inconvenience to Jesus. Children approaching the Lord Jesus Christ, and what do they say? They begin to kind of shush away. They begin to try to, to push away, and the Lord looks at them, and He begins to rebuke them, and He teaches them a valuable lesson as He begins to offer His ear and His life to those children. Suffer the little children. As you walk through the life of Christ, you'll see that our God has been and will always be personal to His people. I love that truth. As you walk through the scripture, you begin to understand the importance of not only us having a personal relationship, but the simple truth of this tonight, that our God desires to have a personal relationship. You see, this is a a very interesting thing. When you begin to to consider uh, the the, the in-life situations that we have, uh, the the realistic encounters that you have on a day-to-day basis, you know the feeling when you're trying to talk to someone about something serious, and the entire time that you're talking to them, there's no eye contact. As a matter of fact, they're looking around you. They're looking past you. They're looking to their right. They're looking to their left. They're looking behind them because they're not engaged. You see, as we go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, there's never a time when He says, hold on, child, I'm a little busy with another one. Hold on, hold hold that thought for just a moment. Let me tend to them. I'll get to you. It might be a couple of weeks, but this is a big situation, so I'll come to you when I can get to you. No, no, no. He tends to this child. And while he's tending to that child, he says, oh, that's uh, that's not overwhelming. That's not too much. I can tend to you, and I can tend to you, and I can tend to you. That is how powerful our God is. When you consider the grace of God within the child of God's life, tonight, right this very moment, as we're considering the world and the gospel that is being preached tonight, the grace of God doesn't just begin and stop at Gateway Baptist Church. You see, we serve a God where the grace of God is going to be experienced by many people tonight as they call upon the name of the Lord. He doesn't just look at that child and say, hey, I can tend to your need. You're calling on me for salvation. And so today you can be saved, but you'll have to hold off. No, 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 no. The grace of God begins to meet every single one of us where we are. And the grace of God goes to every one of us that seek after it. Oh, what a comforting thought that is. And the psalmist here says, praise waited for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer. When you consider the grace of God in this passage of Scripture, I want you to notice the praise that is being pointed to the Lord. As he starts off the psalm by saying, praise waiteth for thee, you begin to notice where it is starting. What's the place that he's dealing with? As he says, praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we understand as you're walking through the psalm, Zion is Jerusalem. Other places might not give God praise. Other places are worshiping idols. Other places are praising others. Other people in other places are praising themselves and looking at themselves and saying how wonderful they are. But he says, no, 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 they might be doing that elsewhere. But here, we're going to praise God. Would it be to God in every single one of our lives and at Gateway Baptist Church that when people consider us, when people consider this church, they understand one truth, that there is no idol worship going on there. No, there's no man worship going on. There's no ministry worship going on. There's only God worship going on there. They won't seek to praise man. They don't seek to praise each other. They don't seek to praise themselves. They just seek to praise God. 
You see, as you consider the truth that is powerful within these verses, you can continuously understand within every single one of our lives, we have the personal decision, the personal opportunity to make this real within our lives. And that is a sobering thought, and it's also a very convicting thought. How many times have every single one of us, whether we have started our day in the Word of God and we have been reading God's Word, or maybe we were sitting in the the church service for a period of time, or we were sitting in a revival meeting or a missions conference or whatever the case might be, but we missed the opportunity to make a personal decision to say, yes, Lord. Yes, whatever it is you're dealing with me on. Lord, I understand you're dealing with this situation. I say yes to that. Lord, I understand you're convicting me of this. And so, Lord, I say no to that, and I say yes to you. And how many times have we walked and just gone through the motions in our walk with the Lord or in our time at the house of God or in our our day-to-day Christian lives of just saying, Lord, I'm just going to kind of go with it. No, 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 no. Don't just go with it. Walk with the Lord. Follow after him. You notice the place here. May praise be found in our lives. But notice in verse number two, he goes on and he begins to say this. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. But it's all emphasized after a very important word in verse number one that is the very last word, the word performed. You see, the word performed speaks of its performance and what is taking place because in verse number one, he says, praise waited for thee. And I began to, to kind of study that. I said, what does that exactly mean? Does it mean that he is saying as your, 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 your approach is here, praise is waiting for you in that regard? As if, you know, a, a phone call is made and a, a, a surprise party is taking place and someone is picking someone up at the airport and they're driving them to somebody else's house and all of the guests are waiting there and a phone call is made to the person that is picking someone up and they say, all right, we're just waiting on you. No, 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 that's not what he is dealing with here. He's not saying as your appearance comes, we will praise you. No, what he is saying here is you understand what this word waiteth speaks of. This word waiteth speaks of to be dumb, if you would. It speaks of to be silent, if you would. It speaks of to be hushed in the presence of the Lord. Here's what it pictures. It pictures God doing so, something so incredible within our lives personally that whenever you try to describe it, words can't describe it and you can't find the words to describe it. I was sitting in a service sometime in the last year. And I remember I was sitting there and a preacher was preaching. I can't remember where this was. I can't remember uh, what the service was at all. I just remember the, the, the truth being expounded on. And it happened again just recently with Brother Polly. Me and Brother Polly were talking and he began to expound on a pastor's scripture. And I said, those are the words that I've been looking for to describe something in my life the last eight years. And I've never found them. And you've been there before. Where the preacher was preaching, you say, that's what I've been trying to say. Someone walks up into a, a, a random conversation, and they're just kind of listening in, and they say, oh, you mean like, and you're thinking, yeah, where you been this whole time? That's what I've been trying to say. Right? You're thinking, that's what I've been trying to communicate. And so this word waiteth here, praise waiteth for thee. It speaks of David. He, he has no way of uttering the words of praise praise has filled his presence in his life because he's amazed at what God has done. He's amazed at how wonderful his God is. You know, as you begin to think about the Lord working in each of our lives, there are days in which we just, we stand back and we are truly in awe of how good God has been. As you pause for just a few moments, 
and you begin to reflect on what the Lord has done in your own life. And there are some testimonies that have taken place within some of your lives that I use in my own life to remind me of just how wonderful God is. A couple of months ago, I was out preaching, and as I was out preaching, I remember I was talking to a couple of gentlemen before the service, and I already knew what I was going to be preaching. I believe I was actually preaching out in, in Hickory for my brother-in-law and the, the church there that uh, one night. And as I was preaching, I began to use, Brother Cyrus and Miss Deb, the illustration and the, the, the testimony of y'all's lives and how your two young, uh, your young uh, grandsons got saved. And how people probably looked at you and all the success in Missouri and everything and said, oh, y'all are fools for leaving all that. But I believe we would all agree there's no comparison to the heavenly joy when someone gets saved compared to the earthly joy that is found on this earth. And the psalmist here in a few moments is going to begin to alliterate that in verse number four when he begins to highlight what God has done. And as you begin to think at those moments whenever someone is acknowledging what God has just done and they begin to talk to you about it, the only thing you can say is praise God. Praise God. And so you notice the, the performance of it and what has just taken place. He says, praise waiteth for thee. I'm in awe, God. I can't say anything except just hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You're good. You're worthy. Amen. Oh, Habakkuk in chapter number 2, verse 19 and 20, the Bible says, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Notice these words. Let all the earth keep silence before him. What he means in that very last statement, let all the earth keep silence before him. He says, oh, may we offer reverence and respect to such a holy God. In verse number three, as you continue walking on down, you begin to see in verse number two that they were seeking after, oh, that thou hearest, and they found the Lord. They understood that the Lord would hear. David acknowledges this. And in verse number three, he's acknowledging the sinfulness, if you would. Iniquities prevail against me. Sin is ever present, and my sinfulness is. He says, iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, Thou shalt purge them away. In 1 John chapter number 1, verse number 7, the Bible says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Imagine for just a moment. Peter, the great fisherman that he was, and as he is coming back to shore, there's one who is standing on the shore side that looks at him and says, Cast your net back out. Tuh. You don't understand. We've been out all night. I don't know if you know, but I know what I'm talking about. I do this for a living. I understand. Catch your net back out. Not that word. And then what takes place? Oh, the biggest catch he'd ever experienced in his life. And what does Peter do the very moment that he finds or realizes or acknowledges this isn't just another man? He throws himself to the ground. And he begins to utter the words as he is departing. He says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. You see, one of the things that you begin to realize in the Christian life is that when you are confronted with truth, and there is any sin within, there is any recollection of sin within, there is any sin present right that very moment that you desire that the Lord would deal with it right then. He goes on, he says this, iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, notice these words, thou shalt purge them away. 
He's acknowledging the sinfulness in his own life. And as he is face to face with the one, and Peter comes face to face with the one who is the, the sinless Son of God, he throws himself to the ground in reverence. And so as you're walking through the very first three verses, there's a lot going on here. It's not just some words of fluff. He is saying, Lord, I can't express all that you have done. I remember there was probably 12 years ago or longer. But there's a group of of guys, and we showed some of them a couple of the skits that they do at our Valentine's banquet this past year. And um, there's a, a skit that they do that begins to picture the grace of God in one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And it's when Jesus goes on and Jesus is aware that that Peter is going to deny him. Now, if you remember, Peter says, no, I'll, I'll go to death with you. I'll, go, I'll die with you. And then we see that Peter will, in fact, deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Peter goes out and he begins to weep and he begins to, 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 to acknowledge what has just happened. And a beautiful picture of grace comes later on. Jesus is risen. He says, go tell my disciples. And notice the very next phrase, and Peter. And it's a picture of grace because in Peter's life, he thought his life was done for. He thought his life was over. He thought, I've failed. I've, I've, I've done nothing good at this point now. All of what I experienced is for naught. I, I denied him. And so they begin to picture this. And as they're communicating what Scripture says, there, there comes a time and they begin to communicate what we oftentimes say in our own lives. Where Peter is aware of what he has just done, and Jesus is saying, Peter, lovest thou me? He says, you know I love you. He asks him three times, Peter, lovest thou me? He says, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. And then if you would, in the, the skit, he begins to acknowledge what many of us oftentimes in our lives is we're dealing the Lord, we understand the Lord desires to use us, but we can't get past our own sin and what we have failed God in. He looks at the, the one who is portraying in that moment Jesus, and he says, no, I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve, I, or he says, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve, I denied you, and I told them I didn't know you, and I told them that I didn't want any part to do with you, Lord. You told me that was going to happen. I still did it, and I, I don't deserve anything. He looked at him, he says, Peter, that's grace. Can I share with you tonight that in every single one of our lives, that is the great truth about our God, is even though we don't think we deserve the grace of God, he begs that we would bring our, our offer. He begs that we would bring our sin and get it right with him, and he desires to offer us grace. He desires to forgive us of our sin. He desires that we would get this right. And so the psalmist says these words, thou shalt purge them, but he's saying it in a confident manner because he knows the only one that can deal with his sin is God Almighty. And so in verse number four, he brings it to a, a, a peak, if you would. He says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. And so we've noticed here, as you walk through this passage of Scripture, the praise that they offer. We've noticed that in verse number 2, they're seeking after the Lord, and their confidence was that He does hear in great confidence that we can have today. We recognize and notice their sinfulness being addressed in verse number 3 and what is taking place. But now in verse number 4, He brings all of it to a point where He says, Notice the satisfaction I find. Notice the satisfaction we can find. And where do we find that? In verse number four, he says, Blessed is the man, notice this word, whom thou choosest. 
And so as you, you're walking through this, he says, notice that truth right there. He then says in verse number four, and causest to approach unto thee. Notice the communion there. The desire to spend time. He says that he may dwell in thy courts. Notice, if you would, the courts that he is dealing with here. And then he closes out by, he says this, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Notice the contentment that is found. All in that one verse. He is saying, listen, listen, look at all of these other things. Look at all of what is taking place. Look at all of the things we are confident. And notice the very last thing that he says in verse number four. He says, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. And he says these words, even of thy holy temple, the goodness of God in our lives, the grace of God. And how the Lord is dealing with us and he finds the contentment. Can I share with you that there are many that are looking for contentment and they're trying to find it in a house. A house will not bring what you're looking for. They're trying to find it in a car, and a car will not give you what you're looking for. They're trying to find it in hobbies, and hobbies will not bring it. You're trying to find it in money. Money can't buy it. You're trying to find it in friends. Friends can't bring it. You're trying to find it in people. People can't gift it. The only time you will find true contentment is when you get into the presence of God and understand that when you get into the presence of God, He has all that we need, and He's willing to give it to us all. All of it. And so he says right here in verse number four, with the goodness of thy house, we shall be satisfied. He's highlighting here the grace of God in his own life. I wonder tonight if I were to to call on someone briefly and say, share some things about the grace of God you've seen. I believe every single one of us would be able to go back to a milestone. We said, oh, many of us, if we're being honest, we've experienced the grace of God today. All of us have. Number two, notice with me in verse number five, we see the power of God. The word terrible that is seen in the very beginning speaks of awesome, if you would. It speaks of greatness. It speaks of being great. By great things in righteousness, by awesome things in righteousness, wilt thou answer us. O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains being girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the ongoing or the outgoings of the morning and evening to rejoice. As you're walking through this passage of Scripture, you see the power of God. The very first thing we see is the greatness that he's dealing with. That word terrible speaks of being great. It speaks of being awesome, if you would. In First Chronicles chapter number 29, verse 11, the Bible says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness, and the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. As you walk through Scripture, you'll see in Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created, and that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I was sitting in my living room this afternoon, and I was studying. And Jackson was in his room playing, and Miss Kelly was in the room doing something in our room, and Charlie was laying down for a nap, and Holly was sitting on the other, the other recliner over here, and I was sitting right here in the living room just going over some things and studying. And I can't remember what was said. I can't remember how all that 
the conversation got started. But nonetheless, my daughter looked at me, a five-year-old daughter, and we were talking, and I said something about worshiping the Lord. And I was talking and, and kind of just, she was asking me what I was doing, and I was talking about what was taking place here and worshiping the Lord. And she looked at me and she says, I don't even know what worship means. What's worship mean? You want to know the sad truth? Is that many Christians don't know what worship is. We don't understand what true worship is. You see, we're living in a society and a world today when worship is defined as what is taking place and very simply the, the acts that are being performed. Oh, worship isn't a performance, it's an attitude. It's not just, hey, let me get up on the platform for a few minutes and do something. That is, no, 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 no. What about the spirit of the heart? What about the, 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 the joy that is found? And so as I was standing there, and, or sitting there rather, and she looks at me, she says, what is worship? Began to talk to my daughter for just a few moments, and you know how this goes with children. You know, you're thinking, man, I've just poured my heart out in the last two and a half minutes telling you what worship is. And she looks at me, she goes, okay. And, you know, just walks off thinking, good gracious, what in the world, man? Next time I'm just going to tell you we'll deal with that another time, right? But how many times do we do that? Oh, we open the Word of God, and God in His goodness is pouring His heart out to us walking through the gospel accounts and what Jesus has done, and we just kind of treat it like, okay. Oh, it's so much more. You see, in this passage of Scripture, the psalmist is very careful as he begins to highlight the power of God within his own life as he's talking about how great it is. He says, by terrible, there it is, that reverence to God again. By terrible things and righteousness wilt thou answer us. O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth, of them that are far off upon the sea. I love verse number 7. He says, Which still at the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. You notice right here, as he begins, he's dealing with the control, what is taking place. You see, within many of our lives, if we're not careful, we're a very loud people. And we get loud about a lot of things. When was the last time you were loud by just praising the Lord? rejoicing in how good God's been in your life. It's also a pure thing. In verse number 6, he says, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains being girded with power. It's a pure thing in righteousness there. I love this truth in verse number 5 and 6 as it's dealing with this and how pure our God is. You see, our, our God is awesome, but it's also the truth that he is also holy. He makes no mistakes. He does not lead us into the temptation of sin. He, I always get amazed, you know, I was sharing this just last night with our, uh, our, our evening school of Bible, but there are certain individuals who claim to be Christians and they, they very may be, and they may just be, you know, living in a season of rebellion. I can't speak to that right this moment. And there's a rapper that has been a, a known as a Christian rapper for a long time by the name of Lecrae. Lecrae just recently started putting out shirts, and I was asking Brother John about it because I just saw it and was listening to a, 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 a discussion about it. And one of those shirts sa- says, Christ-like and Cardi B. Can I share with you, I know a little bit about Cardi B and the wickedness that there is in that lifestyle. Can I share with you that Christ-likeness and Cardi B cannot be in the same place? There's no way. There's another term of a shirt that he had made that says righteousness and ratchet. Now, I do not know what the word ratchet means. That's why I asked Brother John. I said, what's ratchet mean? You're the youth director. Fill me in. 
You know, you, you, you hang around all that and you, you hear all the lingo. And so what's ratchet mean? He began to talk about the wickedness and the, which he might, you know, he might be just telling me something. I need to find out from someone, one of these teenagers what it really means. But he's sharing with me, you know, you know how it is sometimes when you want to sound like you know something, but you really don't. And you're talking to someone who has no clue. And so you just kind of offer something and the person just kind of takes it. But I do know this. And I can say it confidently, knowing that from what I understand about the word ratchet, righteousness and ratchetness cannot be in the same place. But we're living in a world that that is what we're seeing more and more. And our God is a holy God. Our God is not just a God. I can't stand the term, the man upstairs. He is not just the man upstairs. He's the savior of the world. He is the prince of princes. He is the God of all God. There is none like him. He is not the man upstairs. And oh, the world in which we're living in where we just take these things so flippantly. And the psalmist says, by terrible things, and notice what he says, by awesome things, that word terrible, by great things, by awesome things, in righteousness. Not only is it an awesome thing, but it's a right thing. And the psalmist begins to talk about how pure it is, but then as he continues to walk on down, he says, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth. Oh, the confidence we found as you walk through and you begin to study the Red Sea experience is oftentimes looked back at. It's a remembrance. It's a reflection for many of them. What God has done. Every single one of us have those moments when we go back and we say, oh, let me tell you a story about what God has done. And it begins to remind us that if he was good then, he's still good now. And if he did that then, he can still do it today. If if he was the God that we say he was back then, then he's the God of today still. He still is the great I am. He wasn't the great I was. He's not just the great will be. He is the great I am. And the psalmist here is revealing this evening to us through Scripture that he is a righteous God. He is a great God. He is a God that we can have all confidence in. But in verses 6 or 8, he's a God that with just the simplest statement from his voice, it settles it all. It settles it all. He says these words, which stilleth the noise of the seas. Oh, it's a very loud and noisy world. But if God starts speaking, all of a sudden it gets quiet. Because he's much, much greater. And so we see the power of God. And then finally tonight, we won't be long We see the mercy of God. In verse 9 on down, we see these statements. Notice, as it is picturing here, the fact that that mankind can have a harvest and that there might be a drought, but it does not cover the entire earth, if you would, that speaks of the mercy of God. And we find the mercy of God in our own lives. And he goes on and he makes this statement, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. That speaks of the source of the mercy and where we find it. It's all found in God. I'm thankful for those moments in my own life whenever I found the mercy of God and understood what God was doing. I remember listening to a song, and I can't remember, this has been years. And I mean, this was when I was in uh, maybe freshman or sophomore year in high school and was listening to a song and begins to highlight, and it builds up, and then it says, Mercy Walked In. And I can account many, many times all my life when the mercy of God was present I'm thankful for it tonight. We see the productivity of mercy, if you would, as he goes on and he says, Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with uh, showers. Thou blessest 
the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy path drops fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. You want to know what the most important words in verses 9 through 13 are? It's the one word that is found multiple times, thou. You see, every good thing that we have within our lives coming from the Lord and what he desires for us to do with our lives is to use it for his honor and for his glory. The productivity of what is taking place, right? He begins to use this statement, thy path drop fatness. And it speaks of the goodness of God. The excellence in that when God is dealing with something, it's always going to be good. It's always going to be what it needs to be. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Luke six thirty six. Be ye therefore merciful. Notice these words, as your Father also is merciful. 1 Peter 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Can I encourage you tonight? As the psalmist is dealing with these subject matters, we see the grace of God, we see the power of God, and we see the mercy of God. If I were to choose any one of us this evening that's in this auditorium, I could say, let's go back and evaluate and look and see where we can find the grace of God, the power of God, and the mercy of God. And I guarantee every single one of us can trace it back. Because that's just who our God is. He's a wonderful Savior, a God of all grace, a God of all power, a God of all mercy. And He's due all praise. You say, I don't know what to say. Well, just praise Him. Praise Him. Allow the Lord to use it. Lord, we do thank you tonight. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, you are truly wonderful. And Lord, I pray that we would just thank you this evening. Lord, maybe there are some that are trying to find satisfaction in gadgets and toys and housing and homes and cars and hobbies and whatever the case might be. But Lord, true satisfaction, true joy, true happiness, true fulfillment, and true contentment is only found in you. And so, Lord, lead us to you. Lord, as we find in Peter's life, dropping down and just saying, Oh, depart from me, for I am sinful. As we go and we see in Peter's life when he is acknowledging his sin, he says, I do not deserve this. Oh, that's the picture of grace. Lord, as we walk through Scripture, we see a picture of grace all throughout it. We see the power of God. We see the mercy of God. Lord, in our own lives, personally, if we're being honest, we can find the grace of God. Are we willing to acknowledge it's another thing? But we can find it. We can find the power of God and the mercy of God and the goodness of God, but are we willing to acknowledge it? Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Bring us to a place of reverence where we, Lord, we look to you as holy as you are and give you all the praise and honor and glory that you need to receive and ought to receive and are worthy of receiving. Guide us now. Be at this time of invitation. We'll thank you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray.